you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Started uh, doing <clears throat> our, our inside and our online services together. We've been... Um, going through a, a little sermon series about uh, what it means to live our whole weeks as if uh, we're worshiping God, uh, to, to bring worship out of um, one hour on a certain day and a certain place, and, um, and asking the question, what does it mean to live a whole life that's marked uh, by, by worship? And one of the, the things, the thing that we're, we're talking about today, and, and I can't quite figure out how uh, to put this together, but um, we're talking about a, a word in in Second Corinthians uh, called called charis. Um, if you want a, a word, actually, um, I'm surprised that they don't have more trouble with the with the coronavirus in Israel because Hebrew is a very spitty language. Um, so charis, like that's a bad one to say. Make sure you got the mask on for that. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking about that word um, because I think that word uh, defines um, how we ought to, what it means to worship God in, in giving, in sharing, in caring for other people. And, and as we were getting ready to talk about charis, and I was uh, thinking about um, what it means to live a life that's marked by uh, charis, a life of, of worship, um, the, the thing that uh, has been popping into my head is just, just like we read uh, in the card earlier, the, the person that, and there's so many people that I've met since coming to Bethel that, um, that live lives defined by this. But of course, as you know, we're, I'm getting ready for this, um, you know, reading this card about, about Mick. Mick lived a, lived a life of Karis. Uh, I'll tell you uh, one of my favorite stories about her. Um, when uh, a few years ago, when Foster was old enough to do uh, trick-or-treating for Halloween, uh, you know, I grew up in town, and so it's the, you do the neighborhoods, house-to-house thing. Um, but, but out here, we were like, well, we should just go and visit a bunch of people from church. And that was the best choice that we ever made, ever, for Halloween. And, and Mick was often one of the first homes that we would go to. And we would go, and, and even when Foster was, was quite little, I think the first time, uh, we brought him and Aaron and my mom. We were all there, and we, you know, knock on the door, trick-or-treat. And I'm expecting, you know, that like a handful of fun-sized peanut butter cups or whatever, and then you go on to the next house. But, of course, that's not how it works at all. The door swings open, and we come inside, and we spent uh, time in there eating snacks. And, um, and she gave us – it was just like every um, two minutes there was another thing <laughs> that came out for Foster. And Foster is – I don't remember how old he was, but I mean, he was little, and it was like, here are cans of pop and full-size candy bars, and here's a bunch of stuffed animals, and oh, and hold on, there's this thing downstairs, let me get it, I think Foster would like to have it, oh, here's a scarf and a hat for your mom, and, and here's this, and, and I was just blown away uh, by, by that hospitality, um, and, and I know it's, it's goofy, it's silly, but um, the times that I spent with, with her and with many others uh, here at this church were just marked by that desire to bless others abundantly and generously with whatever you had. And, and, and Mick, I remember I'd visit her in the care center and, and she'd be like, hey, check out, open the, open the drawer. You know, and this is, 
you know, the last couple of years were pretty tough for her. Um, but every time I would walk in there, she'd be like, hey, open the, open the drawer to my nightstand. I'm like, okay. And, and she's like, there's some candy in there for you. <laughs> Uh, this is what it means, uh, and, and it amazes me. What is it? What would it be like uh, to uh, walk through life so ready to give to others that even when you're down on your back, you're like, "Hey, hey, I got you some candy." Uh, that's what a life of of Karis looks like, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. Our, our scripture today. Um, is from a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had helped start, okay? So it's a little, little uh, Bible history here. Second Corinthians, uh, we think it's, it's probably actually like the third uh, big letter that Paul, it's Second Corinthians for us, but we think there's probably a letter in between First and Second Corinthians because Paul references a letter that we don't have. Um, but Paul is writing this letter to this church that he helped start and as you read it, and, and I encourage you, the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, uh, it turns on this word, uh, charis, that we're going to talk about. Yeah, perfect. Uh, charis. And it, it's translated in all kinds of different ways in your Bible. And it's funny because we think of these as all different nuanced ideas that are slightly different from each other. But if you were to read uh, 2 Corinthians in, in its original language, you just find this word over and over again, charis. So like when, you're, when your Bible, when uh, 2 Corinthians says grace, it's it's charis. When it says joy, it's that same word, but because of the context, they translate it as joy rather than grace. Uh, sometimes when it uses the word uh, blessing uh, or gift or forgiveness or thanksgiving, they're all charis, all grace. Uh, and grace is kind of the normal word that we use for this, but, but it's all over uh, 2 Corinthians. I encourage you to read it because it, it just turns on this word because uh, it's, it's kind of a, an interesting uh, letter that Paul is writing. He's, he's writing it to a church that has uh, been through some conflict. Uh, he's writing to a church that is full of people that are, are spent and done and on their back, and they're not even sure if they trust Paul anymore. They're not even sure if he's uh, uh, teaching them the right, the right stuff. Um, some people in this church, even though Paul uh, started it, are, are starting to seriously doubt um, uh, they're starting to really doubt Paul. There's strain in their relationship. There's hurt. There's anxiety. There's trouble. Um, and, and people are not feeling particularly giving. As Paul writes this letter, we, we can kind of assume from the language. Uh, but, but needless to say, uh, that's the situation. The situation's bad, and this is what he's, he's writing into. Things are hard. People are, are mad, and they're doing something that lots of churches do, lots of families do, um, lots of communities do in times of trouble when we're on our back. They're, they're pulling inward, uh, and you can tell that this is happening because of the way Paul talks to them. Um, they're, they're pulling inward, and, and human beings, um, as myself more than anyone else, when life is difficult, uh, when people are acting unpredictably, when, when stuff is not uh, happening in the way you want, there's a natural instinct to, to pull inward, to control what you can control, to get small, to not get hurt. And so Paul says into that situation, into those people, he says the word charis. Now, now will you say charis with me? Charis. There we go. That's perfect. Uh, I'd love to hear it back. Um, 
And again, uh, this is a, just a super important word in the Bible. And actually, when we celebrate uh, uh, the Lord's Supper, right, uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, we call that, sometimes we call that the Eucharist, and it actually uh, and contains the word charis in it. It's that same, uh, that same form, that same spelling. And so uh, one thing that's really cool about, about Scripture is it's full of rhymes and allusions and little, little things like that, but it's, it's, all, it's all connected. The word charis, it carries this big load. And, and we're just going to focus, like I said, read all of 2 Corinthians, and you're going to learn a lot about grace and its connection to joy and thankfulness and, and all that stuff. But we're just going to look at a little bit in chapter 8. <clears throat> Uh, because in chapter 8, uh, Paul is, he's writing them, uh, kind of the situation is this, uh, back when things were good with, with Paul, back when people were happy with Paul, um, he asked them if they would um, make a pledge, a, a donation pledge to a community of Christians in Jerusalem who were going through a severe famine, okay? Um, this wasn't a normal thing to do in the ancient world, but Paul said, these people are your brothers and sisters, we need to gather money to care for them, they're going to die, okay? Um, and they said, the Corinthian church was like, yes, like, this is us. Things were good. They made this huge pledge. Uh, but Paul is, is catching wind that maybe the money's not coming. <laughs> and so he doesn't know exactly what to do. Uh, this is his response to that. So this is all in the air because now, right, the church is unhappy. They're pulling in. They're not sure if they even want to be involved with this other church. They don't even know any of these people. And so Paul writes uh, the middle of, of 2 Corinthians to address this, this gift. And so you'll find he talks a lot about grace and gifts uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, that's, that's that word charis, the charis that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking about another, another church. I want you to know about the grace that God has given them. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and again, same word, charis, uh, their overflowing charis and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Uh, so, so Paul's saying this, right? So poverty plus joy equaled generosity in this case. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded us for the privilege, it's, it's bolded, it's the same word, the charis, the grace of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had uh, earlier made a beginning, to bring also a completion to this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you excel in the charis, the grace of giving. So Paul says, uh, this is all in the air, right? Uh, they know that they've made this pledge. And Paul says, let me tell you about another church. Uh, let me tell you about the Macedonians. They were a church that I asked uh, to support uh, these people as well. And, and this is what, what grace looked like for them. He said, their joy plus their extreme poverty somehow resulted in generous giving. Uh, joy plus, plus poverty equals giving. Now, if, if we're honest, that doesn't make, make any sense, right? Uh, generally, um, Poverty plus anything equals less giving. I know that's the case for me, but for some reason in this case, when you get a charis and you add it to extreme poverty, it resulted in, 
in uh, generous giving. God gave them, and, and they actually begged Paul, hey, Paul, let us be a part of this ministry. Uh, let us give to this person. Um, they asked for the grace of giving. That's how it's, how it's written. Um, so Paul asked Titus, so now this is kind of a chain of charis, a chain of grace. The Macedonians said, please let us contribute uh, to what God is doing uh, to take care of the people in Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> Titus is going to take that gift um, and, and he's going to ask you to, to pass it on, uh, to continue uh, that grace of giving. So Paul uh, asked Titus to bring his grace to completion, uh, and he says, so that you too can grow in the grace of giving. Um, what he's saying is this, that God's grace in the middle of trouble, in the middle of trial, gives us the ability to give even when we shouldn't be able to. And this isn't just... Um, you know, Paul's not saying, like, give what you can't afford to give as some, like, general principle. Uh, that's that's not, not what he's saying. He's saying that in this case, as God led the Macedonians, uh, they, they were inspired and encouraged by God to give in the middle of this. And look what God did with this. He's saying that our giving, our generosity, our grace, especially when we're down on our back, right? It's easy. It's easy to be generous when things are going great. But, but our grace, when, when we're down on our back, it, it comes from somewhere else. Uh, it says that God gave them, this is how Paul understands it, God gave them a gift to give. And they took that grace, that charis, that gift, and they gave. And so now Paul's saying, okay, Corinthians, you've heard the story of their grace. Are you going to continue uh, that grace from God? Or are you going to let let it stop. It's like, it's like the wave, you know, back when we used to go and fill sports stadiums and stuff, right? You know, you do the wave and you get like one or two people that don't, aren't interested in doing it and it's usually okay, but if a whole group of people is like a big family that doesn't want to stand up, like it just kills the wave. Paul's saying, don't kill the wave. Uh, and if you don't get it, uh, Paul says, here's another example of how Chorus works. And this is in the next chapter, uh, chapter nine, starting in verse six. Paul, Paul gives a, an agricultural analogy. He says, remember this, a farmer who only plants a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So you must each decide, he's talking to the Corinthians, in your own hearts how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, uh, they'll share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Uh, and Paul says this. <clears throat> he says, you can, you can do grace uh, if, if, you, if you believe this. He says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. If you participate in God's charis and his generosity, God gives you more ability to be generous in your life. And, I, and I'm not, we're not doing the like weird church thing where it's like if you, if you give one dollar, God's going to give you ten dollars tomorrow. Like no, no, that's not it at all. Uh, but, but Paul is saying this, that if you begin to participate in generosity, if you receive God's grace and you start giving grace to others, you're going to find that you're more inclined, even when you're down on your back, to be offering grace to people who need it. He says, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you will always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need him, they will thank God 
So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, uh, they'll be met, and they'll joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they'll pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. Paul is saying when we start giving to others, when we start offering cars, joyce, uh, joy, uh, forgiveness, thanksgiving, uh, undeserved grace to each other, we start to experience undeserved grace in our lives. Giving grace or joy or gratitude of, or caris, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't drain our bank account. You don't hit a point where you say, ah, you know, if you're, if you're relying on God's grace, Paul's saying, if you're participating in this cycle, when you give to others, you're not out something. You're not losing energy. It actually multiplies the grace because charis always makes more charis. When we've received grace from God and when we share grace by giving to others, sharing joy, taking opportunities to bless others, being patient with others, forgiving others, when we, when we do that, we'll find... Um, Paul says we'll find that we're like, uh, it's like working for a farmer. And every time you, you plant one field, you come back and he, and he fills you up with enough seed to plant the next. Uh, Paul really believes that knowing Jesus is like working for the world's richest farmer that has nothing but fields to plant. And every time you plant a field, you come back and there's more seed for you. Every time you come back, he fills the planter. That, uh, that's Paul's good news. Is for people that know uh, Christ, that's, that's the gospel. That poverty and charis can combine to create more grace. And we're invited to live like that's true. To share uh, with others like that's true. Like giving doesn't deplete us, but multiplies the grace. And so um, the invitation for us is this, that we would, one, accept God's grace towards us and recognize that we've been given much. The giving people in your life, well, maybe, I don't know, the giving people in my life are often that way, not because they have so much, but because they know that they've been given so much. The next thing we can do is pray for opportunities to bless others with, with grace. And we can say, Lord, give me someone to forgive today. Man, what a prayer to pray. Give me someone to forgive today. Give me someone who needs today. Um, you know, <clears throat> I think we, uh, at least for me, I, I think most of us were trained that, that life is all about what we, uh, what we consume, especially, especially um, here, but I really think all over the world. We live in a, in a rich place with lots of great stuff, and we're trained to believe that who we are is what we take in. You know, what do you buy makes you who you are? What, what news network you watch makes you who you are? What TV show or podcast or, or movies, what, what music you listen to, that, that makes your identity. Oh, I'm the kind of person that likes uh, country, right? What food you eat, all right? We, we do this all the time. What you consume. All of us have a different diet of what we think is appropriate or not, and we think it makes us a better or a worse person based on how, uh, how we're eating it. What car we drive 
what sport we watch or don't watch. You know, the biggest uh, decision we can make, the biggest statement we can make is I watch that or I don't watch that. We think our life is all about what we consume. Faith, uh, you know, what church do you go to? Which devotions do you listen to? Which uh, writer do you read? And and in my experience, when things get hard, when we've grown up raised in this consumer world, when things get hard, our instinct, my instinct, is to get better by consuming a little bit more. Uh, I'm stressed out. Oh, maybe if I, I get this nice bottle of wine or I, I take a bath or I take a walk or whatever, like I need to care for myself. I need to get better through consumption. Maybe I need to, to treat myself and, and give others a little bit less. And when things are uncertain, uh, what we do is we pull back from caring for others so that we have enough to consume ourselves. And, and when we do give, I think in our culture, uh, we, we've grown, I've grown up to learn that giving, um, the model for giving is like the giving tree, you know, the, the book, the giving tree, right? If you give, when the giving tree gives the boy an apple, she's got less apples to give. When the giving tree uh, gives uh, her branch to make the boy a chair or whatever, she has less to give. We think of giving like that, that everything we share with someone else that we don't consume ourselves, it costs us something. So we ration, I ration my patience for others. I better not spend time with that person. I've already spent my patience for this week. We ration our concern for others. When things are uncertain, we pull in. We only give if we can control. Oh, for sure, if I give to this person, I know how they're going to spend it. I know what they're going to do with it, and it's going to be worth it. If I forgive this person, they're never going to do it again, and so I'll forgive them. But if not, I'm going to walk away. Uh, We believe a lie that if we consume the right thing in the right amount, it will make us good and whole and valuable and better. But Paul writes to the church that he planted. He says, uh, and, and I don't think they think too differently than us. Uh, They're turning inward too. They're afraid of backing the wrong person, afraid of looking foolish, afraid of giving something and running out, afraid of giving now and lacking later. But Paul knows the gospel tells a different story. Paul knows that when Jesus walked the earth, he told different stories. Uh, He knows that Jesus talked about, uh, you know, stories like a a man who threw a party only to hear excuses from his guests. So he, he threw open the invite to everyone. Uh, Jesus told stories about a a, a frustrated manager who asked his servants to invest his money for them, and one of them uh, buried it in the ground because they were afraid of losing it. That's uh, the kind of God that Paul believes. We have a God that gets mad when we refuse to take a risk with the gifts that he's given us for others. Paul knew the story of a kind farmer The kind of farmer who throws seeds all over good soil, but also paths and rocks and weeds, knowing that the crop that does grow will more than make up for the wasted gifts. And that same Savior said, if you want to find your life, you've got to give it. If you want to be first, you've got to serve. If you want to live forever, you've got to die. Paul knew that. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. Jesus came so that we might know that the world is not uh, about consumption, but about grace. That the way to true abundant life isn't getting more, but it's, it's giving charis. Grace received and given does not run dry. We are invited to receive grace unearned, unconsumed. And Jesus says when we do that, 
Living water will fill us up uh, for more than a day, uh, but will quench our thirst forever. In fact, uh, the gospel is that if we receive Christ, uh, we start a spring of water in us that will quench the thirst of others. The gospel is all about Charis, because grace received and given never runs dry. <clears throat> I don't know uh, where you're at, if you're here with us, if you're watching or listening at some other time, or you're watching online right now. Um, maybe um, if you're listening today, you, um, you're here, you're a part of us, because you were taught that to be a good person, you had to consume church. You had to go to church and be a part of it. Maybe Maybe you're here because a long time ago you prayed a prayer because someone told you that if you didn't, you'd, you'd go to hell when you die. Maybe you're wondering if God has anything to say about a world that feels so messed up and chaotic and uncertain. Maybe you're feeling depleted from giving to others and you're not feeling filled up. But wherever you are, I want to invite you to receive the charis of Christ who died on your behalf. He freely offered it for our sake. And I want to invite you to begin a life transformed by the multiplication of that grace in every place that you go. And one way to mark that decision is to, to pray with me. And I want to invite you to pray uh, this, this with me this morning. Uh, to, to remember our own need and lack. To put our faith and our belief in Christ and to invite the Holy Spirit to turn us into new people. So would you, would you pray with me? Father God, as we sit here, we recognize that we don't have enough to meet our own needs. We don't have enough to meet the needs of our family, the needs of the people in our lives, and the needs of our community. Lord, I don't have the energy, the life, the cheer, the optimism, the forgiveness, the grace, or the hope to do this on my own. It's too much. So, Lord, we ask for you to fill us up with your grace. We believe that you came out of your abundance and walked this earth and gave everything on, your, on our behalf and found that even when your son, uh, even when you did that, when Jesus died on our behalf, your son walked out of that tomb with more life than ever before, so we put our hope and our faith in him. And we ask, Lord, to receive that same life and be transformed by your Holy Spirit so that we might be a fountain of living water and life in the places that you have us. Not by my strength, not by our strength, but by yours. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.